Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest, Mark Aylwood, has over 30 years experience helping people who are unsure of their next steps in life, utilising his teaching and mentorship personality, which he attributes to his father. After college, he tried different things and failed a lot, which led him to realise that most people don't know what they want to do in life. However, after becoming a father, he had to shift his focus to supporting his new family and eventually found his professional home in recruitment. He started two staffing companies and sold them for over $3 million each. After getting divorced, getting sole custody of his three children, representing himself in his divorce, and he wasn't an attorney, so that must have been tough, he started helping his young adult children find work and start their own small businesses. He now teaches, coaches and builds content and courses around his experiences and skills. He has a BBA in marketing from the University of Notre Dame and a certificate of excellence in entrepreneurship from the University of Central Florida. He has also done volunteer work as a trainer and career counsellor with the Central Florida Coalition for the Homeless and as a judge and business mentor for the Notre Dame Gilot Centre for Entrepreneurship. This is The Strong Single and human podcast. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Claire. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on board. Now, wow, you are a single dad. I am. So, as I've said in the beginning, right? But, like, oh, tell people who you are and, like, tell people, like, your journey as such, for want of a better word. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, we can carve it up with some subtopic questions and such, but where to begin? Yes, yeah, three young adult children. Um, they're they're on in their years now, 34, 29, 25, 26. Um, and I, I, I always miss them by one year, one way or the other. So that's right around how old they are. Uh, as long as you know when they were born, it don't matter. <laughs> I, I, can, I can track that back because I had to keep track of that on all the school records and stuff for a long time. But uh, you know, they're they're all entrepreneurs, all creatives, and um, that's been kind of fun to watch. And um, yeah, I got divorced. Um, I filed in t- 2003, and I got done in 2011. So wow, yeah, it, was, <laughs> it was brutal and contentious, and uh, I lost all of my material wealth, uh, but I gained really strong relationships with my kids because I became their mother and father. So what started out as, uh, I mean, this is going to be a burden I felt. And then I thought to myself, wait a second, all you're doing is spending time with your kids. How cool is that? You know? And then professionally, um, I've been in the technical staffing space for 35 years and most of that time as an owner operator. So I, I built and sold two technical staffing firms 
And uh, right now, I'm transitioning all of that brick and mortar face to face experience into some online coaching, trying to productize it so I can scale it. And uh, when I help my three kids find work out of school, and then I help them start their own companies, they all three said to me, Dad, I don't think you understand how much knowledge you have in this space. And no one else is out there teaching this to kids. And so you got to figure out a way to get it in front of more people. And then um, yeah, there's all kinds of other things I could share with you, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you direct the territory in terms of what areas of. Oh, no, <clears throat> I love I love what you're doing um, because you're right. There is nobody. This is one of my biggest bugbears, right? And I, I, it's funny because there was um, there's a minister. I think he's a minister. No, he's not a minister. He's an MP, whatever he is in New South Wales, who's wanting to extend the school hours from half past three to six o'clock so that they can do extracurricular activities because all us parents, we work. It doesn't matter whether you're a couple, single parent or whatever, right? We all work, right? We all, most kids go into after school care unless they're lucky to have a parent who works from home and can pick them up. And um, yeah, and so my view is, extend the school hours, get the kids staying at school, get them learning mm -hmm. some skills, some skills out in the world. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's something I get up on a soapbox about a lot because it's um, even the, the hiring process uh, in, in, in America anyway, and I think it's the same in the UK, it's broken, it's terrible. It's, it's mm. there's no feedback, there's no tracking, it's all oh. actional, there's no relationship building. It's, it's really awful. So, um, one of the things I, I teach people is like, look, if you're throwing resumes at openings, I don't care if you're a kid or an adult and expecting feedback and not expecting frustration. And it's it's going to be frustrating. That's not how you find a job. You know, no. I'll, I'll teach you how to find a job. But before we do that, let me teach you how to give yourself permission to expand your horizons in terms of what you might consider doing. Right. And as we figure that out, like play your passion, you know, play something that turns you on. And then we'll create a story and we'll be able to tell that story in a compelling nature to get people to take action. So it's really backwards. And, and the kids, I mean, we used to take shop class. We used to take home economics, learn how to cook. I mean, you remember those classes? They don't teach any of that stuff anymore, you know? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But this is the thing, right? Um, like, I would like to see more about what my son's doing at school. Like, I would like a, I don't know, poor teachers, right? I'm sorry to be giving you more work, but I would like to have a monthly, let's call it a monthly, once a month, a newsletter, just telling me what the kids have been getting up to, to pictures and stuff like that. My son's only seven, right? So I'm still interested in what he's doing until he gets to a stinky teenager. And then it's all attitude and like, you know, but hey, but um, but yeah, but I like you say we used to do home economics. Home economics is basically cooking yeah. or sewing stuff, right? Yeah. But even so, right? They're necess necessary skills. Hey, look, I, I learned how to sew. I learned how to knit. I learned how to cook mostly because of my parents' attitude about the boys and the girls are they're going to cross pollinate. My my sister knew how to mow the lawn and shovel snow. I could do my own laundry by the time I was ten. It's just like. I think it, it, from a parental standpoint as well, I think generally speaking, we spoil our kids more now than we used to spoil our kids. You know, I think that there's a softness floating around the, the globe right now that's probably not good for anybody. You know, I think the intention is for it to be sensitivity and compassion. 
but I think it's softening us up by mistake. Yeah, I agree. I don't believe, and I think they've stopped this now, but like a trophy for everyone. I'm like, Mm -mm. come on people. Hello. So I, yeah, I mean, that's not teaching anything really. That's just teaching you're expecting stuff when you haven't tried or, you know, worked at anything. Right. So how do us as single parents like one build our life and get the work that get the job that we want right but also help our kids so i know that's two questions there so let's start with us first right how do we sort ourselves out well and yeah. deal with our yeah, challenges? i think the you know i remember making some choices and i remember being faced with these choices and you know uh, as well as anybody there's a finite date when the documents have been signed and everything's been decided that doesn't stop the communication or the pain or the regret or the resentment or whatever negative emotion. So what I did is I thought to myself, well, so what do I have control over, right? I have control over my health, right? What I eat, how much I move around, huge for me, right? Control over how much I drink, good or bad, right? I have control over who I spend time with, right? And then I'm going to investigate spirituality. If you will, I was raised a Catholic and I do believe in God, but I've also got a much broader mind with regard to this notion of spirituality. I like the structure of the church. I don't necessarily like everything about the church, so I don't let that bother me. I kind of go and I, I bask in the spirituality and my connection with God. And if the priest is boring or it's a little dark or whatever, I, I forgive. I forgive because you're supposed to forgive. I love your but, honesty. I love your honesty. It's, it's <laughs> I think you got to face those choices because I, I was pretty, I could have just as easily gone promiscuous, bar hopping, drinking, getting fat. You know, I could have done all those things easy because I was on like, I was on the verge of like, this life is not fair. This, this, this is, I didn't do nothing to deserve this. So what? <laughs> so acceptance well, acceptance yeah. and then um, healthy habits was my first step, you know? And uh, and my girls have told me for a long time because it was so bad and they recently re-engaged with their mom. They didn't talk to her for 10 years. She didn't talk to her. Yeah, pretty crazy stuff. You know, nobody understood that. But um, then she re-engaged them when my son uh, struggled with some drugs and they called her up and said, you gotta help with this. He needs needs his mother to, to completely recover from this. And everybody looked at that as kind of a wonderful reconnection. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I know who she is. It's not going to last, you know. And two years later, she took off and left them and got, took their phones numbers out of her phone and moved to, to a new address she didn't tell anybody about. And, and so they went through that wow. whole abandonment thing again. And that brought me back into it, you know. And they were older, were they? They were older. So they- they didn't need to be protected from her. They just needed me to be around to listen and be supportive. Um, yeah. them going in, I said, just keep your eyes and ears open, right? Most people don't change at this age. Most people are who they are. And so yeah. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want to disparage anybody, but just be, just be aware. And, um, but yeah, so, and that, that brought me back in. So I had to kind of go through the grieving process again, just a little bit. But um, and I didn't. As a parent, as a parent, it makes you angry, though, doesn't it? Because <clears throat> you love your children, right? Yeah, yeah. I love my son. 
and you cannot understand how the other parent could actually just abandon them so easily. Yeah, it's uh, it's unfathomable. Um, the other thing that I didn't do that I know I see a lot of people do, and it doesn't sound like you've done it either, mm. is I didn't go jump into the arms of somebody else right away. Oh God, no! Codependency <laughs> thing is it's a big yeah. It's a big. It is massive. It is massive. And I, I have to say to you, um, like, take it that like my advice to people is take a breath, take a step back, take time to heal, take time to look at you, because if you want to break the cycle of, um, not choosing an idiot, basically, (laughs) or no, I can't say that, but like, you know, um, break the cycle of actually, you know, um, and get a successful relationship. You've got to, you've got to stop. You've got to work on you for a while. You do. And I did. I did a lot of, I did a a lot of self-awareness type work. And I'm fortunate. My kids and I are very close. They're pretty mature. They're pretty bright. They're pretty insightful. And they're uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. They're pretty honest. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, no, but that's what you need, right? I think that's what, (laughs) that's definitely what you need, isn't it? It's them to go, Hey, hang on a minute. Like, no, don't be doing the dad dancing or whatever um and serious stuff but like so okay but like before your divorce right you had two very successful companies right everyone would think that you were in control you know you had emotional intelligence you were in control of who you were you didn't need to work on anything personally because you were successful right and so yeah i think the um you know, I don't want to give myself too much credit because I think that even though I personally believe most of this was not my fault, I'm sure in in retrospect I could find areas where I could have done things differently or said things differently. So, but I'm I'm going to go ninety ten on that one, where it's probably more like fifty fifty most of the time, uh, or one person just does something egregiously bad, and uh, it's unforgivable. You know, but yeah. Yeah, I think the uh, there were there were a lot of things. Um, I think what we lacked was the ability to communicate about important things. It was it was the the mo was raise your voice, change the topic, or walk away. That's how our communication worked when we were talking Bye. about something that we disagreed about. You know, and I, and I got a lot of I know exactly what you're thinking, and I'm like. Nuh-uh. <laughs> well, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. So it was, yeah. and if you track it back to her upbringing and childhood, I, I came up in a home that was relatively normal. Uh, both parents were together most of my life, um, and they were both good people and honest people and hardworking people. And and she grew up in a chaotic, you know, parents weren't around. There was emotional and physical abuse probably sexual abuse. It was toxic. And she, you know, you get to a certain age, Claire, you know this, and you have a choice. I'm going to be better or I'm going to be bitter, right? It's like, I never got the bitter choice. I don't want, I don't like negative emotions. I don't like anger. I don't like feeling bad. I like uplifting things, uplifting people. And uh, I was never going to get I was never going to choose bitter, you know, so I just started working on things that I thought would make me better and serving other people in my professional line is very satisfying. You know? Yeah. 
No, I, look, I agree. And I've done the bitter and bitter doesn't really work. Um, you have to let go of it because the bitter will eat you up. And um, I was bitter about a lot of, <laughs> a lot of other things. Um, not particularly about my past relationship, my son's father and stuff like that. I wasn't bitter about that. Um, and I actually went the other way. So I actually have compassion and empathy because he's a drinker. So he's obviously trying to put a plaster on some pain or trauma that's going on. And I say, obviously, I mean, I don't know, because that's stuff that he has to unpack, but, um, but yeah, so I don't, I, I don't hate him. I don't have any animosity towards him. It's about managing mm -hmm. the situation to ensure that my son is safe, to ensure that my son is secure, to ensure that my son is sane yeah. and, and able to deal with the uh, sometimes erratic situation. It's similar to what you've had to do with the kids, with their mum coming in and out of their lives as such. It's... Yeah. You manage it, don't you? You have to, and hopefully, give the kids skills. Yeah, yeah. I um, I treated my children uh, in a very mature fashion from a very young age. I was never a gaga goo goo guy. I was. Uh, I treated them with respect. I expected them to be respectful, and they matured through this experience faster than they normally would have, which was fine because I was able to put up guardrails so that they didn't off any cliffs on the way. They teetered quite a bit, but they never fell over. And, uh, and, I, and I, I think the other thing about the anger is, and I learned this from my daughters who have investigated their own um, abandonment issues and insecurities as a result of this body image stuff, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, they said that in order to get past the anger, you got to dig into it. You can't run away from it. You have to go, I want to experience the, se the sort of severest amount of pain I can from this. And then I'm going to surrender it. I'm going to let it go. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't understand that for a long time. And in this recent round of abandonment where I got pulled back in to somebody, pardon my French, fucking with my kids, right? Is, uh, yeah. This is you off, you know? And it's like, I'm not an angry guy. I don't like getting angry. I rarely get angry. But this is just like the trigger here is just you got to you got to pay attention to it and then you got to get rid of it. Uh, yeah, I agree. You've got to in a way, you've got to sit there and accept it and then just get it out of your life, because otherwise um, it just eats at you. And, and you know, and, and the thing is, right, at the end of the day, you're not going to change anything. Right. You, you can change you change what you can control. Don't change. Well, you can't change other people and situations and circumstances. It's about how you react to it and stuff like that. So, you know, um, yeah. It's a, um, it's kind of a man thing to want to control stuff and fix stuff. And one I don't know what I, you mean. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to surprise you. Um, I, I think it's, it's, my daughters again they, they taught me quite a few things one one was to don't don't come in with a solution right out of the gate dad just keep listening just listen right and you'll know if we want your solution we'll ask you for it yeah don't that's right don't on us if know? anyone's listening to this just listen and take that piece of advice right being a woman i know exactly i always have to say i work in an it industry right and um a lot of my colleagues are male right 
so how I process and get a solution to my problems is I need to get it out of my body. Cannot you men, God love you. You can figure it out in your heads and work through all the little idiosyncrasies, right? I can't. It's almost like I have to get it out on a whiteboard and work it out, get it all out of my body so that I can see it in front of me, speak it out of my body to get a solution, right? So I warn my mates, who are all men, God love them. They've helped me through a lot. But I say, right, I just need to get this out of my body so I can get a solution, all right? So just shut up and listen, right? Because I need to process. I'm processing. That's all I say. (laughs) But, yeah, you're right. You bring up an interesting point, and that is the differences between men and women. And I think we've we've stopped celebrating them, and we've started to make them – we're pushing everybody to be the same, and that's just not human nature. I think that the celebration of femininity and the celebration of masculinity are lost arts. I really yeah. think I miss them. You know, I really miss them. I don't think it does the men any good, and I don't think it does the women any good either. We're 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 pushing up against Mother Nature, saying, "No, we're stronger than Mother Nature." No, you're not. Never will be. You know, never will be. But so. I'm feminine, right? I'm a woman, right? I I have male traits. I definitely have male traits, probably from working in a male in- industry, but. I like getting my nails done. I like having a massage. I like having a face. Like all, they're all girly stuff. As much as I, it oh, it makes me cringe just to say it, right? But at the end of the day, that's what I like, right? I mean, I know men who like having it done, right? Who's to say that's you know that's they do it in a masculine way? I don't know, but you know. Yeah, you got to it's it's just an observation and I, I I could tell that we were kind of aligned in 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 regard to that. The other thing I wanted to kind of get out of before I forgot it was to anybody out there that's got little children and they're going through this. I used to think that my children were getting so harmed by this and I felt so bad and I yeah. It felt like I need to protect them but I can't because for quite a few years I would bring them back 50-50, you know, until the court gave them to me. Which, wow. I did it with, I was my own attorney. I'm not an attorney. I did it by myself. No. Yeah. I know. So, so um, kids are resilient is my point. Don't worry about them so much. They're really a lot tougher than we give them credit for. It doesn't mean they don't need you. It doesn't mean they don't need your support. But if you're really, really worried about your kids just getting effed up through this experience, and some do, but Mine went through hell. And because there was at least one parent with his feet on the ground, logical, rational, just and fair and kind, that was enough. I, I, and maybe I should be much more grateful for that than I am, but I'm pretty grateful for that. So anyway, just want no, and 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 as I am a parent of a seven-year-old, right? Um, it is one of the concerns. It was one of the concerns. Like I left his dad when he was two, so he's two, right? And I'm going, oh well, let's hope he can't remember things. But then there's been various different things that have happened throughout the, throughout his life, and he's only seven, right? And I'm sure there'll be many more to come, right? But it is about not playing games. Be the parent who doesn't play games. Be the parent who sets the boundaries. Be the parent who just basically concentrates on your kid being safe and secure and emotionally as sane as they can be in this world that we're in today. One of the things that I went through seven different judges over the course of those 10 years. and um, Seven. seven, And she went through like six or seven attorneys. And I finally fired my guy, and that's when I got custody. And um, 
you know, it, it was, um, everybody was jaded and they, they'd been doing the work for so long and they, I can only imagine what some of these judges had already seen compared to what they were seeing with me. Cause I look composed, I'm articulate, I'm smiley, I'm confident. They, they looked at me and they're like, this guy's fine. We got to make sure the woman's okay. And I'm like, she's the one doing all the shit. Like I'm not okay. <laughs> Just cause I'm okay. And, um, I wish that everyone, mothers, fathers, judges, attorneys would operate with one thing in mind when there are children involved. And that is what is in the best interest of the child, right? That should be the statement made before any action taken in the legal process, because they don't do that. They don't do that. The first six or seven of them were like, how can I get out of here as fast as possible? Wow. And how can I rule on this so that I'm not exposed because nobody gives the kids to the guy. So I'm not doing that. Right. So I I know it's like I represent myself. I couldn't speak for myself, you know? And and I have to say like, um, it is like, it's frustrating. I, I do have, I do have a lot of dads that I know, um, that are dads a hundred percent of the time, right? That that is it, right? And I, you know, and I, you and I have spoken about this previously. Like, I think the blokes get a raw deal. There's mothers' groups, and there's you know, single mum, where you know, Facebook groups and things like that. And um, and so, if anyone knows of any father groups or anything like that, let me know. I will put them on here, and we will interview the heck out of them because you dads are on your own, right? You love your kids. I mean, you know, let's face it, there are some dads who do need to kick up the arse and, you know, need to take responsibility for their children, right? There's no doubt. But there are some mothers like that as well. I've got mates who are dealing with toxic environments for their children, toxic partners who are women, right? They don't care about their kids. And the dads are the ones that are doing it hard and they have no support. No, I, I I think I mentioned to you earlier, I went looking for some stuff. I almost started my own website just to help people because I went, like, I always said to my attorney and my close friends, I'm like, you guys understand, I don't want the trophy for the worst divorce. I'm not looking for that, trophy, right? You keep that trophy, right? And I, I learned a lot going through the process because I was dealing with a woman who was very intelligent and evil, you know, intelligent and and willing to cross all kinds of boundaries. And I remember myself one time, I really need to start thinking like a criminal, but I oh can't. Oh my God. I really? can't. Like, I, I probably should have hit some stuff. I probably mm. should have because so much stuff was made up and I was a small business owner. So it wasn't, it wasn't a W-2. I didn't just get a paycheck and it was a clear financial picture. There was stuff everywhere. We had multiple houses, multiple cars, divisions of the corporations, you know, multiple offices. So it was it was fraught with opportunity to be abused. Right. And she took every opportunity that was available, you know. So it's um, those are and, you know, I I probably would advise people as well, even in the the less contentious divorces, take write things down, record things, date, date, God, write things down and take pictures of things. You know, yep. I mean, I'm I five years out and I still document everything, everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, it's, it's probably not the right word to use, but you're exposed until your son becomes 16, maybe 18. 18. 
Yeah, you're exposed. Yeah. So you have to. You have to be. You have to do stuff you don't want to do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's um, yeah, it's frightening. Um, it's frightening that you have to do that, but you do because you even if even if your uh, even if your divorce is amicable and straightforward. Um, I've known divorces to be great, amicable, straightforward, everything happens. And then three or four years later, especially with the kids and joint, um, I was going to say joint ownership. That's so bad. No, not joint ownership. I don't know where my brain was going there, but um, joint custody of the child, right? Or children, uh, something might go awry. You might not, you might clash on a decision, schooling, education, I don't know. Um, and that's it. It all goes to pieces. Well, and the other thing, and this is a blessing and a curse potentially, is if he sobers up, um, yes, become a, a whole different man. Hopefully, a better one. But you know, that's you know, what I'm hoping. If we don't know who the real person is in there because it's a mask on all the time, then we don't know who the real person is, right? Yeah. No, exactly, exactly. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, that is my hope, but not sure it's going to happen anytime soon. But you know, we can only but hope because he is the person who changes himself <laughs> yeah uh, we are, we're, we're only able to change ourselves nobody else can change us for us so, so with all these challenges that were going on during the divorce right like how did you well how did you keep sane how did you try and keep positive you know i it's an educated guess on a couple of different fronts but um i i was raised by two very good parents and my father in particular is a very calm very um together guy who is very into hey buddy um self-accountability and you know picking yourself up and dusting yourself off and uh but i had i had a strong support circle and i had a strong faith I think those, um, you know, I went, I didn't go to church after 17 until 35 years later. And I went to, uh, I went to the University of Notre Dame. So I went to a Catholic college. I didn't even go to church when I went there. And I don't know why that was. Um, but I remember when I got through this and was making those choices I talked about, yoga, church, breathing, meditation, you know, good, you know, not the bars, not the not the not the liquor store, you know, whatever. Uh, occasionally, the liquor store, but um, well, you can do it occasionally. It's all right. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But um, yeah. I just I think I was fortunate. I was well grounded, and um, I had friends that I could call and talk to about anything. Yeah. I had long relationships with my children, and they were right before me. Yes, they were in some pain, but they were also flourishing at the same time. You know winning volleyball tournaments and championships and getting awards and uh, magna cum laude, summa cum laude. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was clear. It was evidence right in front of me that whatever I was doing was working well. So I just kept doing it and I was, I was supported. I was tremendously supported. And so I'm very grateful for that. Well, were your friends, were they male friends that you went to go and speak to that you had, that you could speak to? Yeah. Did you feel that, um, because I know sometimes, um, like male colleagues of mine, and I know, I know of a couple of them who, 
went through a nightmare but felt as though they couldn't talk to anyone. They felt as though they had to deal with it themselves. So did you? Yeah, this is a male thing. I think it's one of the things interesting, a bit of a tangent, but in in the career advisory space, a lot of the emotion that people experience when they're uncertain about their professional future is all the stuff we just talked about. It's anger, it's resentment, fear, it's uh, pessimism, it's regret. And these are all emotions men don't like to talk about. So it's the same situation in the professional space. My job is to crack these guys open. And, and I'm, I'm pretty good at it, you know, and, and it, because I'm transparent myself. I don't, you know who I am pretty quickly. You know, and so I think I was well suited for that job, but I was also then well suited for this experience as well, because I'm like, no, I'm totally in control of my own happiness. Always have been, always will be. This is unfortunate. Life's not fair. Too bad. Get over it. You know, and that's an oversimplification, but it was something that you I had to go through on a daily basis, sometimes more than once a day, just to remind myself, just, you know, you can say anything you want about her. But she gave you these three kids. This is the you thing. You have to be grateful for that. Yeah. You have to be. Yeah. You know? I, well, I agree with you. I agree with you. I mean, like with all, all the stuff I've been through, I have the best, most awesome kid who's just brought me breakfast and a coffee. So I can't like, I mean, and I haven't asked him to. I just told him that his breakfast was ready to be made on the worktop and he could make it. And he's going to make me breakfast and stuff. But like, it's... You know, I don't know where that comes from. I'm not sure how I've Absolutely. got such an awesome kid, but yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, you know, and the, the other thing is, um, I did a pretty good job of not talking poorly about her. Um, I think that's I, I important, good, very important. Very, what do you do when your child comes to you and says, "Mommy's crazy," and I'd be like. Well, can I write she's crazy? No, you can't. Yeah, you can't that. say that, right? You cannot say. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you feel that. And then the other thing that strikes me is something I did a really good job at is the consistency between the words that come out of my mouth and the actions that I take, right? And I used to teach that lesson to them over and over because they would come to me in a state of confusion. And I would say, look, I don't care if it's your coach, your teacher, your mother, your father. Your grandfather doesn't matter, right? You look for people where there's consistency between what they say and what they do. And when there's consistency between what they say and what they do, there's integrity there. And when there's inconsistency between what they say and what they do, there's a lack of integrity there. And that's true of everyone. So I was able to teach that lesson without pointing at her, you know, because it's true. It is true of everyone, you know. No, that's right. That's right. And um, and people are there. They might give you a hard time. They might set boundaries, but actually they're the ones that love you the most, right? It's the ones that don't set the boundaries that go, yeah, do whatever you want, right? Who are the ones that don't love you as such? Um, much as I and yeah. much as I'm annoyed with my parents for not letting me go to a club until I was 18, but it was a boundary that they set that I actually nowadays go, yeah, no, that's fair enough. That was probably a good boundary to set me. Um, oh, yeah. Funny, my 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 younger brother said to me years ago, and uh, I want to I want to get the phrasing right, so I'll probably botch it. But the essential message was, 
doesn't it piss you off that every fucking thing dad said was right? Yeah. I'm like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or or that you find yourself now you have kids. Right. It's funny because I say to I say to my son, just you wait till you have kids. Right. That's all I'm going to say. Right. It's like. Yeah, because you say the same things that your parents said or, like, in a similar ilk. Um, but, yeah, no, I know, I know. But then, okay, Excuse but how – what? Excuse me. Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. So um, walk me through what you would like – so you were getting mud slung at you, right? Walk me through what you would do in your head or what you would do yourself – now you used to go and talk to people or whatever, but like what you would say to yourself to not have you go down the horrible depressed funk and to actually go, no, 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 right. I'm just going to like, is there anything, do you have a saying that, or how do you break that? Oh, she's a bitch or he's a bitch or whatever. How do you break that in your head? How do you make it positive? You know, as you're asking me, I'm thinking, you know, uh, that it's my children. It's my obligation to my children to be healthy and to be happy and to be positive and to be present. You know, I I felt an overwhelming responsibility, even when I was married, to be that father. You know, and I always wanted to be a dad. I really had a strong father role model, really strong. And, And he's a real man, but he's a gentle, kind soul as well. And so I had all of that kind of programming in my subconscious. And I would always think to myself, because I used to insist that the judges and attorneys would try to do it, like I said before, like what's in the best interest of the kid? So whether I was thinking about doing something, saying something, or acting in a certain way, I policed myself with that question. Is this in the best interest of my children? And if the answer is I don't know or no, I didn't do it. You know, like I never, I went to the... my girls played volleyball for seven years between the two of them at a championship level, state championships wow. and national championships. They were good. So we did a lot of traveling, you know, and, um, you know, I, it, it just it just was very clear to me that I have to keep that in mind. I have to keep that in mind. And and the other thing is they were busy. You know, you, you, you were talking about after school and, and extending the school hours. They were the rule was after school, you got three options. You get a job, you play sport, or you play an instrument or some other extracurricular activity that requires you to stick around for a few hours because you're not coming home here and playing video games and watching TV. That's not gonna happen, you know. And then you try to you try to do the family stuff. You try to have dinner at the same time together at the dinner table, not in front of the TV, you know, those little things, you know, those are big. You know, yeah, anyway. I, no, I agree. I agree. Um, even though there's just two of us, right, which annoys the hell out of him because uh, he sits at the dinner table with me at night and goes, oh, God, why am I sitting here talking to you? Um, but then we FaceTime my parents in the in the UK. So we have like, you know, a virtual dinner with them. But it's good because we get to catch up. We all sit around the table, even though they're on a iPad, but we all sit around the table chatting and talking about the day and stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, and um, weekends we get a bit slack because we're like all over the place. 
Um, and I have to sometimes walk his dinner around to my neighbours because he's there playing with the kids and doesn't want to leave, which is fine. They're okay. I just walk it on a plate round and go, here you go. And then I get to do whatever I need to do, have a glass of wine, watch some Netflix, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I agree. There are set things that, like, we do. Um, and he's, oh, I, yeah, sport for him. Like, he's a he's a boy, right? It's like... I know if your son was the same, but oh my God, where do they get the energy from? It's just like, geez. Yeah. So, yeah. We have a couple of We're rest also, nights, though. Yeah. I, uh, I get these visuals now of them getting onto the field or the court baseball, soccer, volleyball, yeah. dance. And they, they step into that event, that, that, that sport, that dance, that music, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, they go from troubled child oh. to happy go lucky. I'm not thinking of any of that stuff for the next three and a half hours. And there's the girls will start dancing with their girlfriends and start giggling and smiling. It just <laughs> lit me up. Yeah, yeah, because keep them busy. Because your kids were going through quite a bit with your divorce anyway, right? So like that just took their mind off it. And I think, yeah, keep them busy, keep them active, get them out there. Um, yeah, yeah, no, well, yeah, it's just tiring watching my son do, but I'm one of those soccer mums, right? Which is just so rubbish. I have to put my, I have to listen to a podcast when my son is playing soccer or AFL footy, Aussie rules, because, um, otherwise I'd be shouting out all the time. So if I'm listening to something I'm watching and I'm seeing what's going on, but I'm listening and I know not to shout out cause I got my headphones in. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's – and this weekend wasn't good because we were drawing at one stage. So, um, yeah, don't even go there. It's all good. But it's great. And, I, and we, you know, you, and also I have to say getting your child to do sport means you get in with uh, other parents. I, we have such an awesome group of parents at my son's soccer. They're all fit together and they're all really, really good um at supporting each other yeah i was very fortunate as well because i know you know we all see these people that are these parents that are living vicariously through their children and um, because they couldn't achieve something when they were young and i didn't really we traveled a lot we traveled all over the country and with the with the um the club sport and the high school season stayed locally obviously until the playoffs but we traveled a lot so we were in hotels together we spent the night together and the, the kids would go to bed, you know, curfew at nine o'clock and the parents would go down to the bar and, you know, and we, we had some great stories, lots of fun. And um, and I was usually no, I was always the only single parent, you know, and uh, wow. even the, the few other kids that had divorced parents, they were amicable and they both wanted to participate in the lives of their daughters or sons. And um, so, I, you know, it, it was a very ice. People try to set me up all the time. Are you dating anybody? Are you dating anybody? <laughs> oh, no. Uh, thanks. I'm... Everybody must be scared of me then because, like, nobody's done that to <laughs> me. <laughs> well, Not yet. It's different for a guy. It might be, might be a little bit more fo too forward to, to push a guy on a woman as when it's, like, pushing a woman. Maybe. Maybe. But I, um, I'm like, no, I'm not going to date that person who comes to these volleyball games and then we're going to break up. And then we're going to come oh. and stare at each other the whole volleyball game. I'm not doing that, you know. 
no. that important for me. You know? No, and I also think um, the world throws whoever at you at the right times, right? You you get, you know, um, you get that person in your life at the right times, and when you're, you know, healed or whatever, or you need to learn a bloody lesson, right? I there's so many lessons I've had to learn through my life, though. Like, I'd like to actually just be at a stage where I don't need to learn any more lessons, but I'm sure there'll be loads. Yeah, um, they'll stop coming. But they won't stop. I know, I know, I know, I know. So, look, so there is a light at the end of this tunnel, right? Because, like, you're divorced. It's all happened. When did it get got finalised? In 2011. Sorry, I filed in 2002. And it- yeah, well, that's a... That- that's like having a red, like I was a 48 hour labor, right? So I, that like feels like my 48 hour labor, right? So, um, <laughs> but like, but less expensive, right? Cause like my labor was less expensive than your divorce. You know, the thing, the other thing that people never understood is if you're making it hard for their father, then you're making it hard for them too. If you're putting him in a, yeah. you can't afford a decent place to live. You're asking your children to go over to the place that's not a decent place to live, watching their dad operate, you know, underneath his capability and his potential. And you're doing that on purpose and you're not even thinking about the effects it's having on the kids. So I, um, you know, there was a lot of things that I would have done differently. I, I guess I, I was referred to the, the attorney that was supposed to be the best attorney in Central Florida for this purpose. But I think I got him on the tail end too. I think he stopped Karen before I signed up with him. And I think I would advise him. Wow. If you're interviewing an attorney and they should interview you initially for free, they shouldn't charge you for that initial consultation. Make sure you go into deep detail about what's going to be expected of him or her, what you're going to be allowed to do and not allowed to do. I had no idea that when we went into a courtroom, I wasn't going to be allowed to speak. Right. Oh yeah. I, I had. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you've got to have confidence in whoever's representing you and you have to have someone who's willing to listen to your strategy and tactical input and not just go, shut up. I'm the attorney. I know what I'm doing. You don't want one of those. You don't, you know. So- no, it's a, it, you need a team, really. It's it's like and I don't mean a team as in several people. Right. But I mean, like you and the attorney lawyer over here, we call them lawyers over here, but you and the lawyer. Well, I don't know. Yeah, we do. Um, but you and the lawyer basically um, work together to get the right outcome for the kids, really. Um, yeah, um, I've never had to go through that. Thank God. And there was only one occasion where I did represent myself and I was a little bit naive. I've never, I was 40, well, I don't know, 40 odd. I'd never been to court. So when the the whole, even going to the courthouse, getting scanned, going in, it was just like such an overwhelming experience for me. Um, what Even at the level that you were exposed to it, which was significantly lower than the level I was exposed you, you oh. feel like a criminal. You're you're in a courthouse, you know. Well, I but I I went. Oh my god, what are they scanning me for? I'm just coming here like to try and protect my child, right? And they were scanning me and like you know, I was just like, okay, you had to walk through a special metal detector thing. And then there were all these other people in there who looked a lot dodgier than I thought. Um, and um, 
you know, they may not have been, I don't know. I'm being really judgmental there, but, and there were people, there were mums or dads going into separate rooms, yeah. <laughs> being se segregated from their other, the other parties. And I was like, oh my God, where have I come to? This feels like I'm in a war zone, right? But it is. Well, so, yeah. It's also uh, rooms full of sad people and people that are yes. scared and sad. And it's... Um, oh, angry. Angry, yeah. And uh, I, I quite frequently would walk up to someone who is clearly lost, like looking around where to go. They're late. The judge is going to get mad, whatever. And I'm like, what are you looking for, dude? I'm looking for this room 350. Because by that time, I knew was, you know, down the left third door, you know. And uh, wow. Yeah, it was really, it, it's, you know, and, and you only went up once or twice. You know, it's a, it's a really sad, yeah. yeah, really sad place. Oh, it is, it, it is, and and it's like for me, it was a pretty scary place as well. Because I was, I was the first one up. I'd never been to a court. The judge asked me lots of questions, and I feel sure I, you know, I answered them. Maybe, maybe like you, right? I felt that maybe I should have embellished on certain things, but I told the truth, and um, my ex partner wasn't in court, so I didn't get granted what I needed to have granted. Um, and got told I needed a lawyer. The judge said, bring a lawyer next time. I I, I didn't f go through with what I was going to go through with. But, um, but yeah, and he said, oh, come back and see me in April, because it was the initial hearing that I went to. Come back and see me in April and bring a lawyer. So I was like, right, okay. Well, you know, Don't want to waste my money on a lawyer. No, man, I can't. I won't even tell you how much money I spent, but it was in the millions. Hmm. And um, it, I remember the first time, that I was in court um, and I had filed for divorce in the morning and um, in the evening I was escorted out of my house by three police <gasps> on a charge of domestic violence that she concocted after getting served out of spite. And here in the States and certainly at least in Orlando, um, domestic violence is you're guilty until proven innocent. You're immediately oh, wow. children. You can't, you can't talk to them. You can't email them. You can't be within 500 feet of them until the trial and the verdict six weeks away. So my children needed me, couldn't speak to me. Right. And when I went into the court, they don't do that here. I went into the court. I remember the judge vividly after listening to both sides, he said, this case is dismissed. And I, I started to say something, and my attorney said, be quiet. I said, what does that mean? What does it mean to be dismissed? Can I see my kids now? He said, yes, let's just get out of here. Don't say anything else. We don't want anything. Yeah. And he said to me, the judge looked right at me, and he took his glasses, and he put them on his forehead, and he says, you are free to go back to your home. But if you do, wow. one of two things will happen. You will do something wrong. She will call the police and you will go to jail. Or you will do nothing wrong. She will call the police and you will go to jail. Have I made myself clear? I said, yes, Your Honor. Thank you. So that's what I was like. That was my introduction to what was going to happen for the next eight years. Wow. <laughs> See, in a way, so I, in a way, I would prefer, I know it sounds awful because you went through real we don't have that here so basically you have to apply for a, um, a family intervention order 
Um, now you can apply for it, and if there are correct, if if the judge deems that there is a situation, then they will send police to your house to remove your partner. But within that time frame, if they don't deem it as immediate, there's an immediate um, threat then they they will say, well, we'll submit a, a court order and they will have to come to court and you will discuss it and talk about it in court, right? And you're going, uh, so I'm in a toxic domestic violence situation and now you're going to serve a court order on, and I'm not sure if it's called a court order here, but anyway, it's serving papers on somebody to attend court and I'm living with that person because they can't leave my house, they don't want to leave my house, and then I'm going to have to deal with the situation that I'm now taking them to court. They won't leave my house. And then are we going to come to court and have a civil discussion about it? That don't work that way, right? <laughs> so the naivety of, um, and I think people, I think judges, God love them because they do a lot of good work, but judges and lawyers in this situation do not actually understand how hard it is to go to court on your own to submit one of these family intervention orders and stuff like that. So, but we do it a different way. You can't just, you can't just get them out of the house. So yeah. The cops that came to my house, I didn't know they were coming, obviously. And they knocked on the door and you know, they, I, there's a big house, big door. And I opened the door and you know, people don't knock on your front door anymore, especially at eight o'clock at night. You know, that's, oh, I was knocking on my door, but I know I just filed for divorce. So it could be anybody. And I opened the door. And you could just tell there were actually two cops. They looked at me and I said, hello, officer, what can I do for you? And you could immediately tell, oh, everything we were just told about this guy is complete bullshit. Right. And they started trying to think of ways to help me. Like, let me call my chief. Just give me one second. Maybe there's something else. We can. At the end of the day, I had to be escorted up to my bedroom. I took a wow. put some clothes in it. And I never got anything else from the house ever again, ever. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. That's insane. However, we were talking about the positive sides of things, right? So that was, well, I don't know, 22, 12 years ago, right? So, but you've come out of all of that and your life is completely different? Um, yes and no. I mean, I'm still the same guy. I, 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 I well, feel like I was... Um, that there were any pieces of me taken away from me. I don't feel angry. I'm still very happy. I'm very, um, I laugh all the time. And um, I, I have a real good time with my current girlfriend and I have wonderful relationships with all three of my kids. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So there's like a silver lining to the horrible cloud that was 12 years ago, basically. Yeah. Like it can happen does happen focus on you and don't focus on the toxicity of all of the different situations yeah, you can get sucked into it pretty easy i think it helps me with my work too because i think that i must be i know i'm i've got more humility and i know i've got more empathy and probably i'm a little less judgmental because you go when you go through stuff like this like i said earlier the bitter better thing it's like you're not you you can't carry this baggage with you for the rest of your life or you'll die young Everyone around you will will suffer as a result of that that loves you. You can't carry that around. You got to figure out a way to get rid of it. And the only way, Claire, the only way to fail is to stop trying to get better, right? If you just keep, you're never going to fail. You're just going to be on that journey. 
And that's what it's about anyway. There's no destination for anybody. We're all just moving forward. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. And what are you and, and what are you doing now? What are you what are you you got these courses and things like that. So your kids basically turned around and went, Hey, you helped us out. Come and come and put something together and help other people out. Yeah, it's got I've got all the content and it's organized pretty well. I'm challenged now by just getting it out there and the messaging and the marketing of it because it's 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 that my biggest challenge professionally is that the knowledge that I have is helpful to everyone. And you can't market online to everyone. You have to pick a slice. You got to pick a niche. You got to pick a, a group. And so I was really kind of thinking one of the nice things about being on your podcast was I do intend to focus with middle-aged men. And so a significant percentage of those middle-aged men are going to be going through something like we went through. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So not only can I help them with the professional advice, but I can walk them through all the personal stuff too. Because I, th- I think, you tell me, but I think having gone through what I went through, I think I have a fairly healthy outlook on this. I'm not like all bundled, oh. you know? Yeah, no. And and that's the thing. You've got a, um, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You have got a healthy outlook on it, especially after going through what you went through and losing everything, right? At the end of the day, it's starting again. Um yeah, no. So it's so. It, um, are you online anywhere? Can people yeah, reach out to you? Somebody's listening to this. I think the easiest way to get me is to go to my website, and that is the number seven, and then pillars p i l l a r s global seven pillars global dot com. And the the name came years ago uh, when I was moving in a different direction, but I've stuck with it because you can get on my calendar from my website for a free 30 minute consultation, which is how I start the journey with everybody, because I want to know just as much if I can help you that you want to know if I can help you, you know, if I don't help you and I'm not going to charge you and take your money just to take your money. That's not the way. And so that's the, that's the easiest, simplest way to get in touch with me. And then if, once you get to my website, you can get to my LinkedIn profile. You can get to all, you know, and I would tell people, if you want to know as much as you can know about me, the about page on my website and my LinkedIn profile are the most representative of where I've been, who I am and what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've read it. So it definitely is. If you want to know who Mark is, get on there, right? Because it goes in a You're quite... Well, like you said, you're quite transparent. You just go out there and like, that's it. So it's an interesting read. It's an interesting read, even if you, you know, you want to read it, read it. Um, so look, last question. Um, have you got a piece of advice that was given to you that you still live by today? Yeah, um, I've got quite a few of them. You know, I think the, um, my dad has, um these phrases that he uses that he uses over and over again, and they're spot on and they're, they're simple. One of them is you have to keep things simple, Mark. There's no sense in complicating life. It's, it's usually very simple. It's very, it can be very hard, but it's always the, the, the solution is always in the simplicity of it, you know? And then um, that's, that's one of my favorites. Um, and I go back to that a lot. Um, but you know, I had a couple of good mentors as well. And I, I think the other thing that I've learned that I teach people and I practice is 
Just because something is being done a certain way doesn't mean that's the way that you have to do it. So instead of just following the crowd, why don't you observe and investigate an alternative? And in this case, it's the hiring process. Because people are, people are on LinkedIn just chucking resumes at online, getting no feedback. And like three or 400 resumes. I haven't had an interview in three months. Well, pick up the phone and call me. Right. There's a better way. And it's like I used to, I remember going into the bank when I was a young man and there was two tellers and one teller had a line of like 15 people and the other teller, there was nobody waiting there. And so I went instinctively over to that teller and she was just opening. So I was immediately seen. And then seven people from this line walk over and stand behind me. I'm like, nobody went to that person because they were ashamed and embarrassed if they got there and they were dismissed and said, you got to go back into that line. And I'm like, get over it, dude. People are followers. And there's too many sheep out there right now. I think you got to take the bull every once in a while and say, wait, what? let me think this through. Let me figure out a better way, a different way of doing this. I, I That seems to be a theme for me. Oh, okay, cool. No, that's brilliant. Look, thank you for opening up and being so honest on the podcast. Um, we need more dads on this podcast because, like I said, I feel dads are getting a real deal out there. Mums do too. We need to help mums as well. But, like, yeah, more dads to talk about the situation. Sad time for everybody, unfortunately. I just try and get through it as quickly as you possibly can. And, and don't don't get stuck in little angry battles about stupid shit, you know. Yeah. Children in mind and and press, you know. Well, look, at the end of the day, the only people who are making money out of it is the lawyers, right? So why argue about the fact that your son doesn't want to go to your house because you've got a dog or whatever? Um, just, yeah, don't spend the money on that and spend the money on taking your kids away or whatever. It's, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I really enjoyed the conversation. We got some good laughs in there. And, yeah, I would just tell everybody listening to, you know, stay optimistic. It'll be over. And um, you'll be able to move on. It, that's the way it works. Yeah. It'll be fine. This too shall pass. This too shall pass. That's that's one of the sayings that I know. Um, cool. Okay. Well, look, thank you for joining us. Have a great evening. Um, and I hope well, maybe we'll speak again soon. That'd be great, Claire. I, I really enjoyed it and I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you would like to hear more, please hit subscribe wherever you like to hear podcasts. If you would like to support us further, share this episode with your friends and family. And finally, drop us a review on iTunes as I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments and ideas. It all helps me to understand and produce awesome content you want to hear just like this. If you want to check out our past episodes, write to us, appear on the podcast, or for links, resources, and show notes, go to our website, www.strongsingleandhuman.com. We are also on all the usual social media platforms, Insta, Facey, and Twitter. I hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin, 
and you've been listening to the Strong Single and Human Podcast. Podcast.